I think that when we have something critical to say of, of the nation, that we do so in, in love. It, is not, it does not mean that we do not love the country or that we're unpatriotic to be critical of some things that are, that are present in, in the nation. You would not uh, feel uncomfortable uh, bringing criticism of somebody you love. In fact, the more you love them, the more you feel a deep desire that they be perfect, that they be good, be right. Verse 11 begins, Thus Solomon finished the house of the Lord and the king's palace and successfully completed all that he planned on doing in the house of the Lord in his palace. Then the Lord appeared to Solomon at night and said to him, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. If I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, or if I command the locusts to devour the land, or if I send pestilence among my people and my people who are called by my name, humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and will heal their land. I come to this message this morning with a heavy heart because I come to speak of the serious illness of one for whom I have a great deal of love and devotion. For nations like individuals before God, are, nations before God are like individuals. Every nation has a responsibility to God and a relationship with God. Nations are born, nations live, nations get sick, and nations die all over the world. And so I come this morning to talk about the serious illness that might be present in our land. And God knows something about the sickness of a nation. The setting of our text is this. Solomon has just finished the temple. God has come in flaming glory to dwell in his house. Great sacrifices to the thrice holy God have been offered. And now the time of dedication is over. And Solomon lies down to get some rest. And God comes to Solomon in the middle of the night and says... If you see some problems in the land, if there is a difficulty, a sickness, the symptoms of the nation's illness comes in the land. If my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray, seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I'll hear your prayer and I'll heal your land. There is a cure, there is a remedy. For when a nation gets ill, God is the only one who can heal it. And if God doesn't heal a nation's illness, that nation dies. I've come to this message with four assumptions. They are these. First, I come with the assumption that God has richly blessed America. He has shed His grace upon us. It can be said of America, you and only you have I loved of all the nations of the earth. God could say that about our land. In a unique way, God has had his hand upon the birth and the preservation of this good land. God has blessed America in a unique way. 
I think the second assumption I can have this morning is that God wants to bless America. One of the unique things about the history of our land is that if the nation backslides and people turn their back upon God and there's trouble in the land, just a little handful of people, just a little group of people can turn that nation around, can turn that nation back. It seems that God stands ready to bless America. I come with a third assumption that is this, that the hope of this nation rests in the young. I want to speak this morning just briefly, parenthetically, to the new generation that is present in this congregation. And I want to speak bluntly and straight from the shoulders. There's some, older, some of us older folks who think that you are the problem. I, like to, I prefer to think of you as our hope. For if we preserve for our time and for the generation yet unborn the things that have made America, made the United States of America the most wonderful country in the world, then you are the ones, young people, are gonna to have to preserve these things. You're our hope. I heard the story about a family that had this antique vase that had been passed down from generation to generation. And they had it in this home, this family had it, and the little girl went against, was disobedient to the family, to the household rules, and was playing with a vase, dropped it, and smashed it. She timidly went to her mother and said, you know that generation, that's, that, that vase that's been passed down from generation to generation to generation? And her mother said, yes, and she said, well, this generation just dropped it. If you drop the ball, then there's no other hope. And I think that there are some trends that are present in America that hold great peril for this nation and for the world. And if these unwholesome trends are not changed or not reversed, then we're in trouble. And I think you are the ones, young people, who have, hold the key who are gonna help reverse those trends. Now you may not like that responsibility and you may wanna be left alone and you may say, well, listen, I'm here to get what I can get, live and let live, and I want to have a good time while I'm here. But God didn't place us here to be lackadaisical idlers, and he didn't place us here just to use up what our forefathers have created or spend what others have bought. He placed us here to strengthen and preserve and redeem and he placed us here to perpetuate those marvelous spiritual and moral heritages that have been handed to us by bloody hands. I think the hope of our nation rests in our young. I come with a fourth, a fourth assumption, that is this, that the problems we see in our nation are symptoms of a national illness. Now, I'm not naive so that I believe that I have all the answers. I don't even have all the questions. And I'm not so naive to think that I have all of the solutions to the problems, but I think I know some of the causes of the problems. And before we get to the symptoms, I want to suggest three of them. Now, of course, I'm, this, this is pretty simplistic, and all the problems that exist in America must be manifold and difficult to even to put our finger on, but I think there are three basic problems, three basic wrongs that have caused the problems in our land. One of them is the decline of the home. 
The rising divorce rate is devastating. The disintegration of the American home is a frightening thing. And young people poured out into the streets in violence in the, early, in the late 60s and the early 70s. And I think part of the problem was they were starved for affection and love. The disintegration of the American home. For a nation does not rise higher than the level of its source. And the source of a nation is the home. I think the second wrong that's maybe the, at the heart of the problems of our time is the rise of humanism. Christianity was not enough. And so there began this religious encroachment called at first humanitarianism that preached another gospel that had another message. Now we call it humanism. And the basic message of humanism is that man is intellectual enough to take care of himself and he doesn't need God anymore. And I think the third basic problem that exists in our land is an insatiable greed to get gain. There was a time when people came to this land in search of God. Now man's insatiable desire is for gold. And there is, there is this haunting fear that possesses us and that is, am I missing something? And so we begin our quest for other things and for, and for gold and wealth. And you go into any bookstore in, a, in this land and you'll find, as Time Magazine suggests, that the seven of the ten bestsellers of non-fictional literature this last year were books that have to do with how to get rich quick. What are the symptoms of the national illness of our time? I think we're experiencing a political sickness. This has been called the generation of no leaders, the age of the anti-heroes. Where are the Thomas Jeffersons and the Benjamin Franklins and the Abraham Lincolns? They've been replaced to some degree by the Carmichaels and the Trudeaus and the Fondas. And I want you to know that weak leadership is a curse of God upon a nation. When, America, when the world, when Israel was right, she had David. When Israel was wrong, she had Ahab and Jezebel. There's a political sickness in our land. There's a domestic sickness in our land. It's been called the age of the special interest and we're divided. Management against labor, rich against poor, black against white, white against black, young against the old, and there is no unity in the body of this land. And where there is unity, God blesses. And where there is fragmentation and disunity, it is the judgment of God. And not only do we sense this fragmentation and this disunity in America, we're sensing it all over the world. You've heard this many times, I'm sure. But never before have we ever seen such a spirit of unrest, an unsettledness that exists in our world. Our world is a seething cauldron of unrest. 
and violent war could break out at any place and we would not be surprised. Three years ago, I landed in London, England, went out to visit on the train, a friend of mine, a preacher there, and he met me at the train and he, he, he pastors uh, a military church, Milton Hall Air Base is there where his church is. He said, we'll go out to the, on the base and eat lunch. When we got on the base, they had that cordon, cordoned off and, and, and there was uh, military police everywhere, couldn't even move on the base. Finally, when things were cleared, we went to eat in the mess hall and they just had a bomb scare, a terrorist threat on Milton Hall Air Base. He said, and as we ate, he said, that the commanding officer of that air base is a dynamic Christian who is a member, a faithful member of his church. And he said he was in his office about a month prior to that and they sat down to, eat, to, to pray and to visit and he said, I want you to pray, Jack, for our country. For he said, the information we get is that there has begun in this world a terrorism, a terrorist a movement that is literally going to bathe this world in blood and make it impossible for any ambassador or political leader to walk on the streets of a foreign land. It's an age of domestic unrest. It's an age of economic unrest. I don't have to tell you how hard it is to make a living. I was listening to Paul Harvey this week, he always has one of these bumper stickers, you know, that they see. He said somebody turned in, they saw a bumper sticker in East Texas. It said, I owe, O-W-E. You can sing the bumper sticker song. He said, I owe, I owe, so it's off to work I go. A spiraling inflation, runaway cost of living. I don't have to report those sad stories to you but where is it possible for a person, a young person just starting out, how is it possible to own his own home? I was yesterday in Fort Worth, Texas, doing some work on my house there, and the people I was talking to in my yard said they sold a home last month, 2,400 square foot home in Fort Worth for $130,000. It's a day of spiritual sickness. And the vast cities of America are vastly becoming churchless. And you can drive down the streets of Philadelphia, and we did, and we saw church after church after church with its doors barred and windows closed. And for three years I spent mission, doing missionary work in Canada, and all across Canada, the churches of England are going out of business, and you can go into hamlets and villages and cities in Canada and you can buy church buildings bigger than this one for $10,000. And I came back to Texas and to the Southwest and I begged Baptists to go to Canada and buy those church buildings. For $10,000 you can buy a church building up there and send up young men up there to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. God help us if that happens here. Our big cities are vastly becoming churchless and people are talking more about God than ever and fewer going to church and we sit out here insulated and isolated from that. But I'm here to tell you that fewer people in this county are going to church than 20 years ago. And at best, God's name has become a byword. One man said, 
The only time I hear God's name in my office, it's certainly not in prayer. And we've used the name of Jesus as a byword, and we've abandoned our conscience, and we've abandoned the Word of God as the guide for our life. And our churches have become glorified country clubs, and there is no discipline in the heart and life of most of us. And we've neglected the Word of God as the guide, and we're raising a generation of children that don't know the slightest thing about what's in this book. And we'll be known as the age when the homosexuals have come out of the closet. Did you know that today in America there are 25 known homosexuals? We've abandoned our conscience. We've taught our boys to drink and we've taught our children license. And we call it progress. This is the age of the cocktail party. So politicians carry on their business with a drink in hand and it kind of frightens me that they make the decisions that, are, that govern the land who, with their mind clouded with drink. And there was a time when a man could never get elected to office if there was a shadow over his relationship with his wife. You pick up the newspaper last year and read about a man in Illinois who had a sexual relationship with a 17-year-old female page. And he goes back to his constituency and gets reelected. In my opinion, he forfeited his right to represent us there. And you pick up the same newspaper and find of a man in Boston who had a homosexual relationship with a male page, 18 years old, went back to his constituency as a hero. They ought to have locked the door and never let him back, in my opinion. Solzhenitsyn, when he came to America, said, I fled my nation because I was coming to the American dream and I got to America and found that you have lost your will to live. We have abandoned our conscience. And if we think God is going to wink at that, if we think he's going to turn his back on that, then we don't know very much about God. Now, is there a cure? Is there hope for us? If we keep on indulging ourselves in free bread and circus, there is no hope. It's too late. If we don't have preachers, if we have preachers who stand in the pulpit and placate their congregations with a watered-down gospel, it's too late. If we keep sending politicians to Washington who, abandons their, who have abandoned their conscience and who live on expediency alone, it's too late. If we do not get involved in the body politic as Christian people like salt and light, it's too late. If we don't start emphasizing the home as the structure of American life and the interest and the desire to have a happy and wholesome Christian home, then it's too late. But the text says, 
If I send pestilence in the land and I devour the land with locusts, if my people who are called by my name, it says something to me about the hope of this land rest in God's people. I don't know if you'd expect anything less on Sunday morning prior to July the 4th and somebody getting up here and ranting and raving, but it's a serious thing with me and I think with Larry and his voice choked with emotion and this marvelous choir and you singing about America, I'll tell you it's a serious time. If my people which are called by my name will humble themselves, that means to bow the heart, bow the head, bow the knee. It means to recognize that we are not self-sufficient. It means to acknowledge the fact that we need God, that basic humanism is a lie and a deceit, that man is not intellectual enough to take care of himself. He needs God. If my people will humble themselves and pray, where are the people who pray, who agonize? Where are the families who pray? We sing that little song, just a little talk with Jesus makes it right. I'm gonna tell you, just a little talk with Jesus not gonna make it right. It's time for us to agonize before God and pray. Somebody asked me the other day, do you think that there can be a revival on the campus of Southeastern? I say every revival that has ever happened has been the result of people on their knees in agony before God in prayer. Sometimes the way we pray reminds me of a guy being carted into the intensive care unit with a massive heart attack and he tells his doctor to be sure and check his ingrown toenail. Sometimes we, we pray about these trivial things and we need to be agonizing before God about the sin of our land, our own lives. And seek my face, that means that we seek for the living God. There is a thirst for the living God. It is the basic belief that his smiling countenance makes the difference between failure and success and will turn from their wicked ways. I want to believe that American, America can't have its favorite sin and have health and well-being at the same time. Nor can you, nor can I. There must be at the heart of our concern a basic repentance and people who are willing to stand alone. Now I think I know how difficult it is to maintain one's moral independence and to stand apart from the crowd with regard to ideas and behavior. I think I know how difficult that is. It takes courage to do that. Some of you have done it, and I want to salute you and thank God for you. You're what Jesus called the salt of the earth, but it's not easy. It's easy to follow the crowd, do what the crowd wants. As Robert Louis Stevenson said, like a blind, bespotted bull in a stampede. It's difficult to stand apart and the pressures of, 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 the, of, of peers are difficult to withstand. For as Emerson said, for nonconformity, the world will whip you with its displeasure. 
But this age of ours needs a new birth of freedom. Freedom of the individual man and woman to stand distinct from the crowd with, re with regard to matters of principle. And this freedom is what Erasmus calls the goal of civilization and the hope of humanity. And I'm convinced that there'll be no moral or spiritual progress in this land until it happens, until people are willing to stand against, regardless of the cost, the wrong that exists in the land, however deep that wrong is entrenched. And to do it, you may lose your head. But the pioneers of God, for God and for man, are people who have done that. There is Joshua who refused to get in the lockstep of his generation. And he said, what is for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. And there was Martin Luther defying the imperial council with these words, my conscience is captive to the word of God. I cannot and will not recant anything. Here I stand, I can do no otherwise. God help me. And there's William Temple, William Temple in the Tower of London saying, my prison will become my grave before I budge one jot or tittle for my conscience is captive to no man. Now you say, well, times are different. But I remind you of what Paul said when he said, be not conformed to this world. Jesus didn't follow the crowd, they followed him. And at the very last, when his best friends forsook him, he never flinched an eyelash. But he stayed right on the course of the dream that was in his heart. And I'm convinced that what this nation needs, what this community needs, are people like that. People who will be revolutionary themselves. I heard one time of a pastor who was in his study, I can identify with this. A man came into the secretary's office selling typewriters. And, and she buzzed the pastor and he was sitting, standing there kind of nervous and, 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 and insecure. Told the pastor that the man, there's a man out to see him about a typewriter. He said, well, I'm not interested in typewriters. Tell him, come back some other time when I'm not so busy and I'll take a look at it. The man insisted. Finally, in his persistence, the pastor let him come in. He brought in his typewriter. He gave his little demonstration there. He was nervous, he was insecure, didn't have his heart in it. Finally, when he finished his little presentation, the pastor said, well, I really don't need a typewriter. The guy kind of nervously began to pick up his stuff to leave. The pastor felt impressed to say this. He said, sir, let me ask you, have you ever given your heart and life to Jesus Christ? The man turned around, the typewriter salesman, and said, Pastor, that's the very reason I came in here today. It seems like that there's some people, if we're just sensitive to the fact that there are all kinds of opportunities to be salt and light, that we can change this world. It does seem like to me 
that there's enough hunger in the heart of man. It does seem like to me that if every one of us has a hole in his heart, has a God farm vacuum that only God can fill, it just seems like there's enough restless people in this world if we would just be sensitive enough to them and committed to the spread of the gospel of Jesus Christ that we could change this world. It just seems like that if this crowd of people who are on this place today, in this building, listen to this television, it's just us are really sold out to God, we could do something about what's happening in our world. Let's pray together. Father, touch our hearts with the truth this morning. Make us absolutely, totally convinced that if your people who are called by your name humble themselves and pray, seek your face, turn from their wicked ways, that you still will hear from heaven. You still will forgive their sin and you still heal their land. God, I pray that we'll hear that today in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, is there a need, does there need to be some healing go on in the land where you live? In the little piece of earth that you occupy, does there need to be some healing there? If you'll humble yourself, pray, turn from your wicked way, God will heal your land. Is there a need in your home, in your job, in your relationships, in your little old heart, this little old place where you live? Then the invitation is for you. Forget about the national scope of something like this. Think about just the little piece of place, property, where you dwell and what's going on in your life. We invite you to come to invitations. One, to come and claim Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. He'll heal your sin. Forgive it. Some of you have been off to camp. You gave your heart to Jesus there. You want to come this morning publicly to declare your faith in Him coming right now to this altar to say, I want to do what, let the people know what I did up there at camp. Other invitations to come and join the church, to come rededicate your life to Christ, to make a difference in the little piece of earth where you live. We're going to sing while you stand and come. Come on.